0: MNK Talk YA now presents Shadow of the Fox Part 1 of the Shadow of the Fox series by Julie Kagawa. m and k talk ya
1: i'm marissa snyder and i'm katie bradford and this is our young adult fiction podcast and this week we started a brand new series it is a trilogy by julie kagawa we started the shadow of the fox and we
0: read up to chapter 18 curses and gaki for for this week
1: yeah and this is the first book we've read by julie kagawa she's written a ton of other stuff so much. I had no idea. I knew she had written other things, but
0: I, I don't know. I hadn't, like, put it together that she, – because she's written, like, so many books. Yeah, very
1: prolific. She wrote the Talon uh, series, The Iron Fae, um, Blood of Eden. Like, there's a ton of stuff. And she deals with, like – a lot of them seem, like, mostly supernatural. Um, it seems like a theme in a lot of her books. Like, she deals with fairies, and it looks like maybe some vampires –
0: I read something though that said this was actually the first book she wrote and found a what I call it for editor no publisher whatever you agent call it agent and they couldn't sell it for a really long time oh interesting. Because, like, there wasn't a lot of interest in Asian fantasy, like, 10 years ago, or or however long ago this was. So she, her agent or editor or someone came back and said, like, do you have anything else? And so she proposed one of those other series, and that took off. And then she was finally able to kind of revisit this and get it out there. um, Because there's, A, she is more of a name, and B, uh,
1: there has been a lot more openness to reading Asian fantasies now. That's such a shame that they couldn't sell it, because... I don't know. I always think it's really nice when you get a book that's not the same old, like, European traditional folklore, especially with fantasy. Like, I just think it makes it so much more interesting and more – it's fresher. It's like, you know.
0: Well, and I feel like actually, especially with fantasy, like, being exposed to – new stuff is like part of what's fun about fantasy right like it's outside of our world or it doesn't follow all the same rules of reality so it actually is nice to like see a new world or see new rules or see new creatures and all of that so it is kind of sad especially because books are a big way that people can be exposed to other cultures ideas myths legends I don't know all of
1: that absolutely and there was so much stuff in this book that I had no idea even existed and there's so many cool supernatural creatures
0: there are were you having trouble keeping track of them all because I didn't realize (laughs) at the back of my book there actually is like a little what do you call it glossary Oh, nice. And that was helping me a little bit, especially with like groups of creatures or whatever, to be like, oh wait, what was that again? And then I just flip to the back and be like, oh yeah, those are demons or whatever, <laughs> half
1: animal. So is it true that like the yokai is just like a a, a word, a creature a wor- with
0: supernatural powers?
1: Okay, so it's like an umbrella term for supernatural creatures. Yep. Gotcha. Because then there's Oni, too, which seem like they are kind of larger, um, more powerful creatures, and they seem to be, like, almost demons.
0: Yep. Ogre-like demons of Jigoku. Okay.
1: okay. Oh, and Jigoku J- J- is the um, the realm of evil, right?
0: Yep. It's, like, their version of hell or whatever. Yep.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Because we have this scene at the beginning when Suki arrives at the Emperor's Palace um, and meets Lady Satomi, and she calls an Oni... His name is Yubarama, and he they describe him as the fourth demon general of Jugoku. And that's like right off the bat, that's the first thing we get, like this demon is summoned. Um, and it kind of starts the, uh, the action of the story.
0: I am so curious to see how that all connects back, because <laughs> we have that scene, and we have, I mean, we see... Suki's basically given as a sacrifice to this demon so that the demon will help find the scroll. Mm -hmm. And she dies, like, in the first chapter. But her little, like it or something this light lives on
1: I know yeah and I was so disappointed because I thought Suki was going to be one of our main characters and maybe she still will be but I did not expect her to die so soon and um it, it was interesting how like I, I liked that there was some action in order to introduce the main issue right so in this world every thousand years a dragon rises he's the harbinger of change and it's Described as the night of the wish, right? So you can uh, make a wish from this dragon once every thousand years. But you can only do it if you have this scroll that has a thousand prayers on it. And and the scroll, we learned too, was separated into many pieces and kind of like scattered throughout the kingdom because they don't want anyone to get a hold of it. So that's kind of like the legend behind this story
0: well and the reason there's a thousand wasn't there even more to it like wasn't there someone back in the day who sent everyone out to find this dragon and like nobody went and so he was gonna go by himself and was like in the ocean I'm trying to remember all these details actually I don't really remember but then he was the one who like said a thousand prayers and it's his specific prayers repeated that or written down, I guess.
1: Right, right. Because the the mortal wanted to be... He wanted to find a jewel that was supposed to grant you immortality. So he right. summons the dragon, I guess, in order to... He was, like, apologizing, I guess, for summoning him. And that's, I think where the thousand prayers come from right
0: yeah i feel like we've had a couple not versions because they're not contradictory but like uh perspectives on this legend so far and i'm curious if it's going to be flushed out even more and we'll like see more about like what all went into creating the scroll back in the day in the first place
1: yeah because we learned that like the reason they separated the scrolls like the reason they they don't want anyone to find them is because I guess the last time someone summoned the dragon, they used their wish for something awful and, like, the land was almost destroyed. And so they decide that, like, this power wasn't something that anyone should have. But people are looking for it now. So we have a couple people who are looking for the scroll. We have one of our main characters. Her name is Yumiko, and she lives with some monks uh, in part of the kingdom. Uh, master Azaleo is her master, and, and he's part of the Silent Winds Temple. The cool thing about Yumiko is she is half Kitsune, which is a fox spirit. So wild Kitsune are said to be masters of illusion magic and shape shifting, and I love how her true form is revealed in mirrors or in, like, still water. You can, like, see her fox ears and, like, her foxtail.
0: Yep. Well, and her backstory we also are, like, learning a little bit more about because the reason she's living with these monks is when she was, like – Us infant or like very young, she was left at their gate. And there was a note that said something about how she's going to Well, I can't remember the actual phrasing, but basically, she's going to help protect the scroll or like do something involving protecting the scroll, right?
1: yep it says um, forgive me I must leave this child in your care do not judge her harshly she cannot help what she is I have I'm like I took out the most important pieces so this might not be the whole thing but um I have seen blood and flames and death demons shrieking in rivers of bones and the world grows dark with fear but a single fox stands above it all untouched a great dragon cast in her shadow her name is Yumiko child of dreams and she is our hope against the coming darkness Woo!
0: which I love that whole thing and I hope we find out more about who was having these visions and where is her family or...
1: Who left her there. Yeah. And I love, um, I love Yumiko so much because I love how she is half kitsune, half human. And, you know, when Master Zayo's talking to her, he's like, I've seen your human half and I've seen your kitsune half. He was like, I've seen human compassion in you, but I've also seen the fox's cunning in you. And he is basically telling her, like, you have both parts in you and you're balanced on a really thin edge right now and you can... Either be yokai or you can be human, but you have to choose and you have to follow that path. And even if you want to, you know, take both of them together and, and try and, and be both kitsune and human, you just, you have to decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that. I love that, like, seeing play out on her character like this partly mischievous trickster side and then this part that is like also trying to stay human
0: well that's so interesting too from like an identity standpoint because she like doesn't quite belong in either world because she's half of each right
1: Mm -hmm. yep
0: and i feel like she'd already be like a fish out of water trope a little bit because she's like this little or like 16 year old girl who's grown up with all these like pious male monks or whatever
1: yeah she's naive and like
0: never left the monastery or whatever they call it um the temple of wind or
1: what what, what was it called the silent winds temple
0: okay yeah the silent winds temple but yeah and now she's like going off on this grand adventure tricking (laughs) a demon slaying ninja and like has never left home before i know doesn't know and everyone she knows is dead and like I mean, it's, wow. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Because, yeah, that whole scene with when their temple's destroyed, right, it was a bunch of demons attacked the temple and set it on fire because they were looking for the scroll, right? And Master Isaiah was like, take the scroll and run.
0: And that was the demon that was summoned in chapter one, right? Yes. Who, in all of his, okay, yeah.
1: Yes. Right, so that demon was summoned to find the scroll, so he goes to this temple, um, and now Yumiko's on the run, she has the scroll, and her uh, mission is to take it to the Steel Feather Temple, which Master Zeo tells her also has a piece of the scroll. So that's where she's headed, but on the way, she meets our second main character... Tatsumi.
0: Yeah, and he's also really interesting. Although I think your notes called this out too. I was really struggling, especially the first three chapters where we went from Suki to Yumiko to Tatsumi and distinguishing who was talking and trying to understand the world and the different relationships. I was like struggling really hard on. I almost wish at the beginning of the chapter they said whose perspective it was or something at the top. Or I don't know. I just...
1: I agree. I'm shocked. I was really
0: confused for a while.
1: I'm shocked that they don't have that at the top of the chapters because I will say that's my biggest problem with this book too. I I never know who's talking when I start a chapter because I would say like either mark the chapter with the name of the character who's who's narrating or make their voices unique enough that you can tell who's ta- who's narrating.
0: Yeah, and that's so interesting because I feel like their perspectives are really unique. They're they're definitely not similar characters, right? Like they come right. from very different backgrounds. They have very different motivations, all this stuff, but there is something super similar about their voice. And Because they're, they're both told in the eye perspective and it's hard to tell until they make like a specific reference to each other sometimes or, or something which character it is.
1: And it's weird because I feel like the narration and the dialogue doesn't quite match up because whenever Yumiko talks, she's very naive and she almost speaks in like a childlike way. Like sometimes I was, I almost was just like, not like cringing, but I was just like, oh, she sounds like a little girl when she talks. Um, But her narration style is like more mature and doesn't quite match her dialogue. So I did have a a problem with that.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a good call out. Although to some extent, again, she's literally like never met anyone that weren't I don't know how many people were at this temple growing up but I don't know maybe the 20 people she's lived with her whole life and like it sounds like there were rarely any visitors or travelers to the temple growing up and part of me can also sort of see her like just being a little bit naive and guarded and like not super communicative because she hasn't had to be I don't know
1: yeah and that's fine I think that's absolutely fine I just wish that like her narration style matched that Fair, yes. But- It's like, if you're having all these
0: thoughts in your head, why are these the words coming out of your mouth kind of thing? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: that's fair. But anyway, um, so we have this other character, Tatsumi, who is so interesting. So he is- The demon slayer. What did you call him? A demon fighting ninja? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean- <laughs> That's pretty much- Yeah, that's that sums it up. He is a-
0: A weapon for the cage family.
1: <laughs> yes. The Shadow Clan the Shadow is where clan. he is from. Um, and he has a sword called Kamiguroshi that is possessed by a demon. And I was super confused about this because they kept saying Kamagoroshi and then they kept saying Hakemono. And I was like, what is happening? Like, why does the sword have two names? But then I realized the sword is Kamigoroshi, and the demon inside the sword is Hakimono.
0: So does that mean if the demon left the sword, the sword would still have a name? I think so. Or does that mean the demon is more than this? Like, is the demon inside the sword or is the demon multiple places and also the sword is like one of his aspects uh, or something
1: i think the demon is in the sword i think like the sword is possessed by a demon because that's the whole issue with like the honor of him being chosen to bear kamigarashi is that like there's always the danger that the demon will leave the sword and possess the bearer mm-hmm. and so he was like uh tatsumi was like trained very carefully to show no emotion and and be very impassive because as soon as you start to show emotion, that's when the demon can slip into your body and control you. Which is like such a cool concept.
0: Yeah, especially when you think about training someone from such a young age. Again, he like he thinks of himself as a weapon. He like hasn't known kindness. He doesn't think about his own feelings or wants really at all because that's how he's been trained. And it, you're right, it's just such an interesting concept. And you get, there's like, again, this fine line between, because sometimes he will let the demon take over but never enough that he can't gain control back but the thought is like the more you do it the less likely you are to keep control or the longer you do it or the you know more like basically it's Mm -hmm. always a risk exactly and it sounds like there have been multiple of him the demon slayer like he's not the first demon slayer so he's been trained and like took over for the last demon slayer I guess and all the ones previously at some point had to be killed because they crossed over The the demon took over, right?
1: I think so, yeah. And, And that's why I love Tatsumi compared to Yumiko. Like, I love that these two characters are thrown together because I think they are so similar, but also so different. Like, Yumiko really, like, can't control, not like she can't control her emotions, but she's kind of an open book. Like, she's very honest and open and you know, kind of wears her heart on her sleeve. Mm-hmm. And then there's Tatsumi, who's, like, you know, very cold and very, you know, doesn't show any emotion. But both of them kind of have a similar problem or issue where they're balancing between, like, a very fine line of, like, staying human and also opening themselves up to this supernatural other half of them mm-hmm. that could rise up and, like, claim them at any moment. Because even Humiko is, like, whenever she shapeshifts, she always thinks, like, oh, if I keep shapeshifting, could I go too far and, like, lose my human self?
0: Well, and it's also interesting a little bit from her side because she's been raised by humans who, like, don't trust her other side. So she almost thinks of it as a negative. Like, she almost hates, yeah. not hates, but She, like, I I am curious if she'll meet more of her other kind throughout this story and, like, maybe embrace that side a little bit more. Because it sort of feels like that's, like, the side, almost in the same way that Tatsumi doesn't want to become possessed by the demon. She, like, almost doesn't want to give in too far to her fox side, right?
1: Agreed, yeah.
0: Like, human is good and non-human is bad, almost, it seems like right now.
1: I agree, yeah.
0: But that's from a largely human world or perspective. Because she did have, who was the, um, it was, like, a raccoon spirit or something, right? in the forest who kind of was presenting that other perspective of like, why are you like just embrace this side of you and come to our side and don't worry about the humans and their feelings and their whims and passions and all that. And like, you can be happy here. So that did kind of present, I guess another perspective.
1: Yeah, but that's a good point that like a lot of the monks she grew up with were very mistrustful of her. And there was that one um, Denga who wanted to bind her magic to like prevent her from using it at all. And that was like kind of terrifying to her.
0: I wonder if that idea will come around later, like if more people realize what she is, if someone else will try to bind her some other time in this series.
1: That's a good question. Well,
0: anyways, yeah, so Tatsumi, the whole reason they ran into each other is he was sent by his Lady, I forgot her name already, or oh, Master, or yeah, the leader um, of her, his clan.
1: Her name is Lady Hanshu.
0: Yes. Lady Hanshu sent him to go and get the scroll piece, and he doesn't realize that it's right there with him because. He's been tricked into, she's told him the whole story, except the fact that she already has one piece of the scroll.
1: (laughs) I know. So Yumiko is like hiding this very big secret from him and probably for good reason, because I think if he knew that she had the scroll, he might kill her and take it. And she kind of feels the same way. So she's-
0: A hundred (laughs) percent he would have, at at least at the beginning. I think he's starting, probably still even right now, but I think he is starting to develop some like more protective, seeing her more as a person than just like a, I don't know barrier to his goal
1: yes I agree and I think the reason for that is as they're traveling they have been coming across so many (laughs) different yokai and so many different obstacles like I don't know if you felt like this but I was a little overwhelmed when I was reading this first half of the book because I felt like every page was introducing a new character and every page was introducing like a new demon that I did not know anything about and it was I think it was a little too much for me yeah you know, there was like the Spider lady, and then like the demons attacked the temple, and then there were the weasels that had s- spears on the end of their hands. And I was just like, oh my God, yes, <laughs> this is a lot.
0: I will agree. One, the glossary did help me a little bit to reference, or at least when I heard a term I didn't know, get some idea of what it was, but I almost needed like pictures for some of these creatures or something as well, because, and like you said, (laughs) and with the switching perspectives, so trying to keep track of who's talking and where we are, and like, there was just a lot happening all at once as we're building this world and kind of setting the stage.
1: That's funny that you mentioned that you want pictures, because I felt the same thing, and I was reading an interview with Julie Kagawa, and she said that... when she was writing this book, she wanted to she wanted it to read like an anime. Like she wanted to basically write an anime but in book form. And after she said that, I was like, "Oh my god, that makes so much sense because there's so many themes in this book that are like common tropes in anime if you are at all familiar with it like all these demon creatures that have like really unique shapes and they're like kind of cute but kind of deadly and then like even Tatsumi and Yumiko like the beautiful boy with like the purple eyes and like the kind of innocent childlike girl with the long hair like it was just <laughs> as soon as she said that I was like oh I can totally see I see this now yeah I see this now yeah yeah.
0: But yeah, it's hard to remember... Who, and also like the alliances because we know multiple people are after the scroll, but figuring out like who knows who or who's on whose side or, or if I don't know yeah, there's just there yeah. is a lot happening right now.
1: And what do they want the scroll for? Because we know Yumiko is trying to prevent anyone from reading it when the dragon rises. but I don't think I think you know I don't know what Tsumi wants or well he doesn't want it. I don't know what his clan wants with the scrolls. We know the demons wants to use it.
0: Well, I think that's I think Tatsumi's clan wants to use it too because don't you get a feeling that his like the leader of his clan has all this like mystery. She's been around for like generations. She's like
1: rotten corp.
0: Yeah, I feel like she might be bad news yeah. also and wants to call the dragon for some of her own purpose. Dark meaning. <laughs> yeah. But then there's all these other si- so then we have um like kind of one of the the big what's it like blockers for this first half was kazakari the witch the wind witch or whatever
1: oh yeah
0: and i don't know who she's related to or if she was just off on her own and then there was i can't even remember the demon bear no even before that when they were in the town and someone helped her the first time she ran into mistress
1: kazakari kazakira oh oh oh
0: and there was that guy with like You know, who was like, oh, let me just see if I can kill your weasel people. And like warned her about they travel in threes. Why are there only two? And he almost seems like he's trying to help keep it safe. But he's also kind of staying uninvolved. But does he also have some ulterior
1: motive? I have no idea who... I don't know who that man is. I wrote his name down, but I don't know like how he's playing really into the book. Yeah. But I really liked... Um, mistress Kazakira because okay so she's part of the wind temple which is like I guess one of four major temples and like the other ones like the shadow temple and the steel feather temple are minor temples and so we get kind of this elemental magic uh, idea introduced in the book where like she is the wind mistress so she is um, what you call kami touched and she can control the wind so I'm Mm -hmm. assuming there's other clans that can control maybe the fire or air or water and this is making me think of uh the last airbender (laughs) like if you've seen avatar the last airbender doesn't it remind you of that
0: (laughs) i haven't actually seen that or know much about that but yes in theory the little bit i know that makes sense but tatsumi also the person who comes and checks on him is uh kami touched or whatever with the shadow magic from the shadow clan remember? Yes.
1: Sushi. He is, oh, Jamei is his name. He is a Sushi, a magic worker. He was like checking up on him to make sure the demon sword hasn't overpowered him.
0: Yeah. But if he has shadow magic and we've seen wind magic, I think your theory that probably all the other clans also have at least some people there who can like perform their elemental magic makes
1: right. a lot of sense. And I'm sure we will see them. <laughs> probably in the next chapter (laughs) i'm just kidding i really liked the weasels the um kamatachi weasels that had like sickles on the end of their hands i like i love that whole idea and i looked them up a little bit that was like part of my research and it's really interesting because they come in threes and the first one knocks you down the second one cuts you with, like, a poisoned blade, and then the third one heals you, but it all happens so fast that you don't know, and you don't know what happens. Like, you just know you fell over, but you don't know that you were, like, actually attacked by Kamatachi, and so you continue on your way without even knowing that you've been, like, mortally wounded and that you're about to die. Yeah. So it's, like, I, see, I love that. Like, I didn't know anything about that. And it's such a cool concept. And, like, I'm so glad this book introduced me to that.
0: Well, and even the idea that they always travel in threes. Like, we wouldn't have known that without some of the other characters mentioning things like that. But that's also just, like, a cool concept in part for what you said. And also for how she ends up defeating them. Or defeating uh, Mistress Kazakira by freeing the, the captured third sibling. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I know. And then the... the um. The Kamatachi all get together and kill her. Yeah. Like when they're freed. <laughs> I was like, oh man. <laughs> and
0: she's dead, at least it seems that way. So I know. I'm like, oh, she was one of our big kind of actual blockers right now, but who did she work for? Was she related at all to the lady Satomi or whatever at the beginning? Also, at the beginning, sorry, I'm like jumping all over the place, but when Suki like found the guy playing the flute who was like the emperor's son or something like that. And they had like a whole conversation. I wonder if he's going to come back around at some point or if that was just... I hope so. Yeah. There's just, there are so many like characters and creatures to keep track of right now. And
1: clans. And clans. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: There is a map, at least at the front of my book, which has also been helpful for me just to even be like, oh yeah. This person came from here, in my mind.
1: <laughs> I need to check that out, definitely. Maybe, like, pin it on my wall while I'm reading this.
0: <laughs> it's not super detailed. Like, um, the forest that they walk through where the bear, like, had been asleep for 20 years or whatever. I
1: can't mm-hmm. remember what
0: it was called, but I don't remember seeing it on the map and things like that. Like, I almost wish there was more detail to the map because we're on this journey and it would help me keep track. Oh, and now we're at this – I'm jumping ahead again. Now we're at this <laughs> kind of creepy village that's been super <gasps> welcoming, but, like wow. – Almost like they're – I mean, like, something is going on.
1: Why are they so accommodating to them? Like –
0: I think they're going to, like, sacrifice them or something, like – or not like them sacrifice, but like, I think there's some kind of creature that needs, um, uh, whatchamacallit, like, uh, an offering, an offering, yes. And I think that they're like, oh good, it doesn't have to be one of us. We'll just send you down to the house where the demon comes. And like, that's why they're giving them all these like things of gratitude because it like saved a generation of kids or something. <laughs>
1: but- and like giving them all this food. Oh, that's a really good, that's a good point. I wasn't, I had no idea why they were being so friendly. All I knew was that like, I didn't trust them. <laughs>
0: i know and i we skipped ahead because we also our uh duo has become a trio somewhat against everyone's will but um we also have the ronin okami with them right now who uh turned on he's like traitor to everyone a little bit but yeah he keeps changing his mind He ultimately helped them out and they helped him out and at least for now we're all traveling as a uh, semi-distrusting band of three
1: <laughs> yeah and i think it's interesting because we learned about ronin when we read flame in the mist yes and i i loved that like i knew exactly what that was when okami appeared um and it's interesting seeing okami paired with tatsumi because tatsumi is a samurai um you know someone who's had this intense training and he serves a, a master or a mistress in this case
0: okay so wait is he a samurai i thought he was disguised as a samurai and he was a ninja
1: yes i think okay. he is but yeah. he had like i guess i would say he's similar to a to a samurai in that he works for you know a, a lord or a master and he's like highly trained and i guess he probably wouldn't share the same kind of code of honor that a samurai would yeah he seems like pretty much okay with killing just about anyone but as a ronin okami serves no one like he basically doesn't have a master he's i guess we would call a disgraced samurai so it's kind of cool to see them peck at each other <laughs> yes well and it was
0: interesting too because we actually like knew more than yumiko at the beginning because we had studied ronins for 20 seconds in our previous uh series episode but she was like what does that mean right and um that was a nice but, so I actually looked into ninjas for samurais, which is my research, which is why Ooh. I'm being like, oh, is he actually a samurai? I think he's a ninja. So very high level. The way we like think of samurais and ninjas, I think is different. So even though they both come from this Japanese warrior class group, uh, samurais are typically pictured and remembered as wearing kimonos and being very honorable and fighting fair and being loyal and like they have this whole code that they live by and whatnot versus ninjas tend to be pictured as dressed in all black and like full skin pants and a shirt and stuff and Mm. they're more under the radar so they're more like the assassins and the spies and things like that a little bit is sort of how they've been portrayed at least in the media Mm -hmm. okay so the most important period for talks about samurai and ninjas is the Sengoku period, which is 1467 to 1603, which I think mm. is, I think I read an article by Julie Kagawa talking about how that period inspired this book a little bit too. I think that's when like there was a ton of like civil war and like warring clans within Japan. Oh, okay. But then we also had the totoku Tokugawa or Edo period that lasted until 1868 after that which was when a particular family the Tokugawa family took control of Japan and they were military dictators and sort of like rose to power and like established more of the official like elite samurai class or helped make that more of a social status as well. Oh, gotcha. And it was interesting. I was reading something that basically said before this time period when like everyone was kind of at war with everyone else, the whole society was militarized. So there weren't peasants and warriors. There was just kind of everyone who like worked on the farm and killed people and like, you know, did a little bit of both or whatever. (laughs) And so there was in 1588, it was called the sword hunt edict, and it prohibited farmers from owning weapons of any sort. So only samurai were allowed to bear arms, and basically they kind of let people self-select into it. It seems like you could keep your swords and be like, "I'm a samurai, and I went to battle not that long ago," or you could go back to farming and like turn in your your weapons. So f- for the most but part, but be-
1: the farmers us then? Yeah,
0: I mean, it was like supposedly a period of peace, and there was like mm. more structure, and the samurai would protect the farmers because there's still this cast like. But basically, at the beginning, people sort of chose one path or the other is what it sort of sounded like. And then there were multiple different like reforms and governmental work that, that like formalized the caste like system. And that put samurai at this more elite status. So samurai ended up being above like artisans and merchants and peasants. Okay. Even though they weren't, like, going to war all the time, the samurai class were the ones who were kind of given the, like, bureaucratic and administrative roles and kind of, like, the leaders
1: for a while, at least. And then what happened to ninjas at that point?
0: So, let me jump ahead a little bit. <laughs> I, like, read a few different things and, okay. Very high-level ninjas were kind of considered the non-elite. They, they're sort of the warrior of the peasant class.
1: Oh, okay.
0: They were kind of more known for, like, again, like, covert operations, assassinating people and hiding, like, gathering intelligence. They weren't like, look what I did. They were like, you know, the secret, the ninjas of whatever. Sometimes they're considered still, like, a hereditary class. Like, fathers would teach their sons the art of being a ninja, but Mm. it was more, it, it wasn't tied to the elite class the same way the samurai ultimately were. And so the word ninja means stealth man. It's based off two different Chinese characters, one meaning stealth and one meaning man. Mm. And they're actually, if you look at historical record, something I read was just like, samurai weren't above the same tactics of like sneaking into castles and embracing undercover warfare and like doing kind of slightly dishonorable things that you might think yeah. of. Or like do, so in some ways, it's more of a pop culture phenomenon in Japan, this idea of ninjas but there there were some differences but the samurai were a much more like well-defined social Organized. group with this full code that kind of crossed multiple you know, if you were a samurai, you sort of uh, adhere to the same code, regardless of which clan or whatever you were related to. But then I was reading about this one ninja, Ishikawa Goman, who is like a Japanese Robin Hood, so we might have actually talked about oh. him at some other point, but um, he was training as a ninja. This is one version of the story which isn't necessarily historically accurate, but I just thought it was an interesting story. So, supposedly he was having an affair with the person, he was his, like, teacher's mistress, and Uh-oh. the master got mad and he had to run away um, and he stole his master's favorite sword before he he left and he spent 15 (laughs) years robbing like wealthy merchants and rich temples and may or may not have shared his rewards with impoverished peasants which is why it's sort of a Robin Hood story. But then in 1594, he tried to assassinate Toyotomi Hideyoshi um, to avenge his wife, and was executed by being boiled alive in a cauldron. <gasps> and in some version of the stories, his five-year-old son was also put into the cauldron. But oh he God. held his son above his head, like while, while he, he burned, was yeah while he
1: boiled alive. And
0: the head? guy ultimately f- like felt pity and rescued the son. So I d- thought that was just. Kind of a interesting story. What an awful story. story. I mean, awful, but also, I like, I mean, it's, and we don't know that much, but I love that he saved his son in the midst of all this.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's just, I mean, I'm sure that's like largely more legend than actual yeah. truth, but.
1: He may have done some, I mean, yeah, because it's like proves that he was like, you know, good to the end, kind of, you know, like he's sacrificing himself to save his son, that kind of thing. Yep. Wow. Was it common to boil people alive back then? Now I'm very curious.
0: (laughs) I didn't look into that specifically. But the other kind of difference between at least some of the stuff I read, I think, was more historically accurate. And some of the stuff I read was more, I think, based off movies and legends and some of that stuff. But one of the other differences would be kind of again going back to this code ID idea samurais are tend to be associated more with they were loyal to their master kind of like what you were saying versus ninjas Mm -hmm. would mercenaries who could be hired you could pay a mercenary versus like a samurai if they worked for you like they were loyal were sworn to your family or whatever yeah
1: that makes sense
0: so yeah those are a couple of differences but i love i love this idea that Tatsumi is pretending to be a samurai and everyone else is assuming he's a samurai and he's getting a certain level of respect for that and he uh you know imeko and okami are both assuming it as well but he doesn't he's not actually held by that same code and he does kind of have he's still loyal i guess so in that sense it's a little bit different than how I just described ninjas, but he, he doesn't have the same, like, honorable code. I sort of feel like he'll do whatever he needs to do to achieve his goal. Or at least that's how he's been trained.
1: True. But he, he also... Yeah, he's just... um He's more disciplined, I guess I would say, than, like, Yumiko or Okami. Because... And there was that, like, one scene when Okami, they were de- debating whether or not to let Okami travel with them, and finally he agrees, and Yumiko's like, okay, so he can travel with us, and you're not going to kill him in the night, right? He's like, no, I'm not going to kill him in the night, and she's like, and you're not going to hang him upside down and put sweet potatoes on his ears so oh, yeah. that squirrels <laughs> climb all over him? And Tatsumi was like, um, no. <laughs> like, like how Yumiko's like like her trickster side comes out and like at odd times and Satsumi is like so perplexed by that because he's just not used to like someone being playful and you know mischievous like that because he's he is so disciplined yeah
0: well and even like <laughs> even though they're similar ages she like had a childhood and he really didn't <laughs>
1: Yeah, so true. Um, this probably doesn't surprise you because you know how much I love foxes, but <laughs> I researched the kitsumi a little bit more for my research.
0: Good, I was hoping you would because I actually have a lot of questions, so what'd you learn?
1: So kitsumi actually in the literal sense means fox. Okay. In um, Japanese. So they are the subject of common Japanese folklore. Um, They are intelligent. They possess paranormal abilities that increase with their age and wisdom. So apparently they can have multiple tales. So, they can have as many as nine tails, which is a Pokemon character, if uh, (laughs) you remember that. And so, the more tails a Kitsune has, the more older, the older, more wiser, more powerful it is. And some people actually make sacrifices to them. So, they also are very mischievous. And they like to take the form of a human woman. And it's kind of it's, it's interesting. They, also, they kind of um, remind me of like a succubus in a way, because there's like many stories about like a Katsuni coming in the form of a woman to a man and making him fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. So like there was one Japanese legend of a man who was single and like longing to find a woman. And he meets this beautiful one, beautiful woman on a vast moor and marries her. And then as soon as she gives birth to their son, his dog uh, also had puppy, a puppy. And as it grew up, it became really, really hostile to his wife. And she kept begging her to begging her husband to kill. It, but he refused and then one day the dog attacked her and she was so startled that she she changed back into her kitsune form and she fled away and the man he realized that he had married a kitsune like she had kind of tricked him into marrying her mm-hmm. but it ends well because the man says uh he, find, he goes after her and he says, you may be a fox, but you're also the mother of my son and I will always love you. Come back when you please. You'll always be welcome. So she came back in and
0: what happened to the dog? No, they don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also thinking about the fox and the hound, which is one of my favorite movies when I was little Aww. right now.
1: Like they can be friends. Just give them a chance. Well, they they said like a lot of the, in the, a lot of the legends that Kitsune um, returns to her husband each night as a woman and then leaves each morning as a fox.
0: Well, and I love the idea of with, with legends like this. And even the idea, I feel like um, even in Western traditions, you know, foxes kind of have a rep for being like cunning and whatnot. But I, I like the idea that they're more like trickstery or like, it's like kind of in good fun, not all. Like, they're not evil, but they're not trustworthy or something. Like, it's kind of like Mm -hmm. this more fun version of being like, I don't know. I like that they're not evil, but it's sort of like there might not be fully i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say but it's kind of fun yeah
1: it's it says that they they're presented as tricksters with motives that may, that vary from mischievous to malevolent so um there's stories that tell of Katsuni playing tricks on overly proud samurai um also greedy merchants are some of their favorite victims and boastful commoners, or people who are cruel and abuse poor tradesmen, farmers, or Buddhist monks.
0: AKA people who deserve it. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So they, and this is interesting too, so they say their victims are usually men, however women are in danger of being possessed by kitsune, Hmm. which is kind of interesting. So they say that the victim who's being possessed is usually a young woman, and the fox enters beneath her fingernails or through her breasts. And they said sometimes the facial expressions of the woman will change in a way that they resemble a fox. They said that they can also cause illiterate victims to temporarily gain the ability to read. So that can be like a sign that a woman's possessed by kitsune. Interesting. I kind of love that. I know, yeah. But they said that, um, I mean, they said sometimes women will run naked shouting through the streets. Sometimes they'll lie down and froth at the mouth and yip as a fox yips. And then on some part of the body the, of the possessed, a moving lump will appear under their skin, which moves around. But they can't, you can't get it out of them. Ooh. Yeah. So they said, like, people will kind of act strangely. They can speak and write in languages that they've never heard of before. And then they also only eat what foxes are believed to, to, to eat.
0: Is the idea of their ears and tail being invisible except in reflection? Is that something you saw or is this unique to the story?
1: I've never, I didn't read that, but they do say that Kitsune are masters of illusions. So kind of plays into it a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm also curious, like, because she actually has a tail, right? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a time when someone like feels her tail, but doesn't see it? Or like, it's not just the reflection she oh. has to worry about, right? She also has to worry about like, I don't know.
1: I guess so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you think... Sorry, I'm, you might sell more research. No, that's it. What do you think Tatsumi would be less forgiving of? Finding out that she's kitsune or finding out that she has the scroll?
1: Well, I think Tatsumi would be less forgiving of the fact that she has the scroll. I think his sword would be less forgiving of the fact that she's Kitsuni because... At one point, um, he tells her, like, you might not want to travel with me because I have this sword. And Kamigarashi hit, like, the swords was created to kill demons. Like, the sword was created to kill yokai. And so I think if he finds out that she's part Kitsune, she could be in real trouble from this possessed sword.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of surprised that him and or the sword can't tell because I feel like other people have picked up on the fact that she's Kitsune, or at least like uh, Mistress Kazakira knew and made some references to it. As did that other guy who like helped when they were in the alleyway or whatever. Right? Like, aren't other people picking up on it or like hinting at it? Yeah. And you would kind of think that if your like purpose in life was to go and find and slay demons, that you I don't know. I feel like he should be more trained than most in like recognizing the signs or something.
1: <laughs> I agree. Yeah, but I think he's just so perplexed by her. He's like, <laughs>
0: yeah, that's fair. And she's only half so it's not like i don't know i mean she is also part human yeah i'm curious i feel like she can't keep especially both of these secrets for too too long so i'm curious i sort of think what's going to happen is she's going to reveal her kitsune side when she's like saving his life or something so he'll like owe her His wife? sorry i think yumiko will reveal her kitsune side to tatsumi at some point while she's saving his life like when they're in one of these
1: his life you know his wife I was like oh
0: (laughs) no his life like you know they're gonna be facing some creature or something and she's gonna use her cunning or illusions or something to to protect him or save his life and then that's I think how she'll reveal her secret and it'll be hard to be mad at her for it since she would have just saved his life. I don't know. We'll see.
1: That's true. I could see that happening. I could also see him falling in love with her and then being like in grave danger of this sword possessing him since he's not really like supposed to show emotions and like it weakens him and like makes him vulnerable to being controlled.
0: I could see that too. That's a good one.
1: So I'm a little worried about that too.
0: Also, I love Okami, and I hope, I'm kind of curious if we get more people on our journey if our group keeps getting bigger. He's, like, so funny. I love how he is really sarcastic, and Yumiko never gets it, (laughs) and, like, Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) it just, like, completely rolls off her. She has no idea
0: yeah she's like really what sarcasm
1: is (laughs) they are a fun trio i will say that like i'm enjoying the three of them being together and like interacting together
0: i did see one comparison that was like it sort of reminds me of the wizard of oz and after i heard that comparison i was like oh yeah she kind of is like dorothy traveling around and like collecting people to her mission to like serve as her companions and
1: yeah. you know she's a little
0: naive to this world and
1: and they're all on a quest and they all have different goals yeah that's a very good comparison actually
0: ah <laughs> <sighs> should we keep reading yeah let's do it i'm okay so curious to see where this book ends like i I sort of feel like we're gonna get to the other scroll piece and something's gonna go terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm sure many demons will come back. Someone's gonna get the scroll. They're gonna read the thousand prayers and bring the dragon back. I don't know how Yuki- Tasumi or Yumiko's gonna stop them.
0: Suki's gonna save the day at some point, right?
1: Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I hope she. I want good things for her. I felt so bad for her. Is it my turn for a joke or is it yours?
0: I honestly don't know. Do you have one ready? I can try and find one. I, I can I can tell one. I have a friend who shared that she, a joke, she like, she got a joke on the radio. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, what? That's awesome. You should tell me what it is. And I'll also put it on our podcast. Nice. And it kind of fits with my research very slightly. Okay. What's Robin Hood's favorite band? I
1: don't know.
0: Aerosmith. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Well done, well done. Oh. Okay, well, let's finish this book for next week.
0: Sounds good. I feel like it's actually, I mean, now that we're talking about it, it's only, it wasn't even 250 pages and so much happened. And I know it was a little bit confusing, but now that I'm into it more, I'm also like, this is not one of those books where we take a while to set the stage. Sometimes the first half of the first book in a series, there's a lot of just like, just world building and stage, mm-hmm. stage setting. This one, I feel like we're already like in it.
1: I agree. I just, I do wish that there had been, I, I wish that it had slowed down a little bit because there was so much world building and like so much information that she needed to communicate. I wish that it had slowed down just a tad to give people a chance to catch up because like, I mean, now that I've pondered, I've like thought about it and like was able to study each page and really think about it. I'm enjoying it. But my first pass through as a reader, it was not incredibly enjoyable just because I was so confused and like I had to try really hard to figure out what was going on. So I do wish it had been a little bit more spread out.
0: Yeah, I agree. I would say like up until the bear scene, at least, I was still like struggling with who, really struggling with what's, who yeah. is who, what's going on, all of that.
1: And it's a shame because it's like, there's such cool concepts in this book. I love all of the ideas that were presented, but it just wasn't enjoyable really to read because there was so much going on and just like trying to keep everything straight was was work. It felt like work. And
0: I think it's hard anyways to do multiple perspectives really well. I hope mm-hmm. at least we kind of stick to these two or three if we count Suki's chapters perspectives. I'm also worried that if we keep adding more or do- doing more with that it'll keep oh being gosh. confusing or get more confusing again.
1: But. Yeah. But now that I'm caught up <laughs> you're ready to keep going? And I understand what's going on. I'm I'm into it now yeah
0: (laughs) I also love the cover and the the, all the books are like really colorful which I'm excited to have on my bookshelves. anyways yeah let's get let's get reading if you oh I found a test about if you're more of a samurai or a ninja I'll share it with you and we can uh share our results next week and maybe all our listeners can let us know if they're more ninja or samurai oh I love that where did you find it it was online. yeah it was just online somewhere it was at the bottom of one of my what's the difference between a ninja and a samurai websites and then it was like take a quiz to see which
1: one you're more like
0: i will have to find it and share it but please do but yeah let us know if you think you're more ninja or samurai on (laughs) our facebook or instagram at Y A,
1: or you can email us at mnktalkya.com
0: gmail.
1: at mnktalkya at (laughs) gmail.com
0: sorry i threw us off because i switched (laughs) the order that we usually do that in
1: (laughs) i mean you can leave us a note at mnktalkya.com we have a comment section so (laughs) technically that wasn't i think that
0: actually yeah ends up in our email so
1: (laughs) that works
0: (laughs) all right bye bookworms
1: go get a library card